Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, as usual, Jeff. Joining me from the face of the sun this week is none other than my usual co-host, Mark A. Johnson. Mark, is it hot enough there for you? Well, well, that's an interesting question. Why could you make it hotter for me? <laughs> just sure, wait till tomorrow. What that means. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No, I'm I'm doing okay. Um, it is pretty hot. The uh, earpiece to my headset has melted to the side of my head. Um, so I got kind of a half Princess Leia thing going on. Yeah, you kind of look like it. Maybe Lo, was it Lobot? Was that his name? Something like Lobot. that. Lobot. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, this is. Uh, we we do sometimes uh, double as a, a Star Wars minute part two kind of podcast, but yeah. All right. Well, let's. We have got a ton of stuff to get into today. We have got a really great guest that Mark has been working on getting on this show for quite a while, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, we have the radio voice of the Seattle Mariners, Rick Riz, is going to join us a little bit later to talk some baseball and open some baseball cards with us. So be sure to stick around for that because that is, uh, I mean, that he's got a ton of stuff that is always fun to talk about. And he was he was great and gracious enough to sit down with us for a little while. So be sure to stick around for that. But Mark, before we do that, let's do as we always do and get ready for the show and get into a little batting practice before we head to Rick. I'm ready. I've got, I, I think we're going to start a new segment. Every week okay. here, we had somebody make a debut last week in the big leagues that I think we're going to just start. We're going to do a weekly update. This is kind of like, you know, several years ago when Oda B. McDowell would get, uh, you know, you get the water bill update from Oda B. McDowell on Deadspin every every month. We had a player make his debut last week that we're going to we're going to follow from here on out. Mr. Lars Newtbar is now a major leaguer. Yeah, it's very exciting. One of the best names in the game right there instantly. Yeah, well, get this. His full name, wait till you hear his full name. Full name, Lars Taylor Tezuchi Newtbar. He is half Dutch <laughs> and half Japanese. Wow. Yeah. His, what uh, a name. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's great, right? His uh, brother's name is Taz, by the way. So even... Ooh. Even better. So Lars made his major league debut. He was recently traded to the Cardinals. And as of the time of this recording, he's appeared in five games. He's got his first major league hit. Uh, he also has three RBIs and a triple to his name already. Look out for Lars. He's an outfielder. He went to USC. Was originally drafted by the Cardinals in the eighth round. Wow, I thought he was traded to the Cardinals, but apparently not. Lars Newtbar, we are watching you from here on out. That's right, Lars. Um, I know you're not listening to this, so I want to yeah, encourage you. You don't know that. Uh, do not know that. Do a great that. job. You do not Just know do that. a good job, buddy. <laughs> okay, maybe I don't. Uh, so I've been having some fun this, uh, this month on Twitter. Somebody on Twitter has been, every day this month has been posting a different team in the major leagues, and then asking everybody to put together their favorite players at each position from said team since about 1990. Now, this does not need to be the best players. It doesn't need to be, you know, the best team you can put together. It's just the players that you liked the most in that franchise. And they did the Pirates last week, and I realized I have got a thing for Pirates catchers. 
I can think of a couple. I had a real hard time coming up with my favorite. So I put down Spanky as my favorite, Mike Lavalier, because he's sure. Spanky. I then, there was a DH slash pinch hitter slot because it's the national, you know, a National League team. And I put Jason Kendall in there because I had to get Jason Kendall in there. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. But what about I, Don Slot? Exactly. Sluggo is in there. You've got Tony Pena spent time with with the Bucks, and we can't forget our guy that we keep talking about and keep bringing up, Benny DiStefano. Oh yeah, the last left-handed catching catcher to play in the big leagues. So there's been quite a few that uh, I realized I got an affinity for for Bucks catchers. Well, you know, it's amazing how we we can figure that sort of stuff out, and you did it without an algorithm, so that's really impressive. Yeah, but don't ask me like what I ate for dinner last night, what the wife told me <laughs> to do today. I'm not going to remember, but I can remember that stuff. Great story. So Dustin Pedroia, you know, from the Red Sox is, I guess he's officially retired now. He hasn't played in a couple of years, but he's officially retired. And I found this great story about Petey and David Ortiz, Big Poppy. So because they batted back-to-back, Ortiz and Pedroia would hang out in the on-deck circle a lot of time, just waiting to, waiting to bat in between innings or just during the game they're there. During the stoppages of play, the catcher on the opposing team walked over to them and picked up a loose ball that had rolled into their area. The catcher had said to him, hey, what's up, Dustin? And Pedroia said, hey, hey, what's up, man? And then he walks away. And Big Poppy says to Pedroia, he goes, what did he call you? And, and Pedroia goes, what? And, and Poppy says again, what did he call you? And Pedroia says, Dustin. And Ortiz says, why did he call you that? And Pedroia goes, that's my name, man. And, and Poppy goes, really? <laughs> and Pedroia goes, yeah, bro. I've played like 1,600 games with you. They've actually said it like 5,000 times over the PA. Now batting number 15, Dustin Pedroia. And, and Poppy goes, yeah, I, I thought it was Pee Wee. <laughs> so the half inning starts and Pedroia was still just baffled at this entire time. And, and as Ortiz goes up to the, as one of them goes up to the plate, Pedroia looks at him. He goes, you thought my parents named me Pee Wee? <laughs> so, through this thread that I found this in, I think we kind of, everybody kind of came to the conclusion that Ortiz had heard him being being called Petey a lot, which was his nickname, and just thought it was Pee Wee instead of Petey. But to have played that long and Pee-wee not know Pedroia? somebody's name, yeah. <laughs> See, that's why Willie Mays had it right when he just said say hey to everybody. He didn't have to worry about that. Yeah, yeah, and it was an honor to get a say hey from Willie Mays. So. You know, it was it was a pretty bright thing to do. I'm smarter than my, hey, you, how are you? Champ, captain. Hey, buddy, buckaroo. <laughs> okay, another thing here. We're going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to play music. I hate to do it, but that, uh, that noise never means good for us, Mark. No. No. So we got an email this week from a listener, John Summers. And uh, last week when uh, I was talking about Kurt Bavakwa in the debut segment, I apparently uh, was referencing a, a, sp- a spring training fight that he was involved in in 1981. And uh, John says that I said that uh, 
Bavakwa was with the Pirates at that point. And in fact, he has never played for the Pirates. But okay, John, now just hear me out here. What I did say that was in 1981 in spring training, Bavakwa incited a bench-clearing brawl with the Detroit Tigers after Bill Robinson was hit in the face with a pitch. Now, what I think John missed here was that subtle comma, which was implying that he was a fighting alongside, not against the Tigers. I think he just missed that. So, fine is hereby denied, and John Summers, you now are being fined uh, $19.81. <laughs> with the year in which the uh, brawl occurred and for missing that subtle comma in my inflection. I'll send you our PayPal. Yeah, <laughs> you can Venmo us. We've got that <laughs> All right, let's head into our debut segment. This show is debuting on June 29th, so we've got a couple of debuts. Most recent one is one that I think we'll be talking about for quite some time after he retires. You know, Probably uh, this is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer at this point in his career. In 2014, Mr. Mookie Betts made his debut for the Boston Red Sox. And what a debut it was. Uh, he's, he is something else. Yeah, that guy is on pace to be a, a Hall of Famer. Uh, a couple of other ones, though, some two big ones. So it's funny because last week we celebrated the debut, the anniversary of the debut of Lou Gehrig. Well, this week we celebrate the debut of Wally Pip in 1913. Ah. So, I mean, again, we're not going to go heavy into Wally Pip because we've talked about him many times, including last week and the quote unquote headache. Now, I, I think we probably should. I, I think Wally Pip is ripe for an, an episode because I actually was, was doing some reading. There are almost as many theories about Wally Pip and his headache brain hemorrhage, double vision, whatever took him out of that lineup as there are about who killed JFK. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, there are a lot of differing ideas as to why Wally Pip was was removed from the lineup and, and letting Lou Gehrig in. And, uh, maybe we'll <laughs> look at that in another time. But a couple of other things about Wally Pip I wanted to talk about is first, let's just quickly look at his career because Wally Pip was a really good player. A member of the 1923 World Series champions with the Yankees. He played for 15 years, 11 of which were with the Yankees. He led the league in home runs twice before Babe Ruth came around. He was one of the few power hitters during the dead ball era. He also ended up with a career average of 281 and a career OPS plus of 104. He received MVP votes several years and uh, also could steal a bag every now and then. He had double figures most of the uh, most of the seasons in his career. A couple of interesting things about Wally Pip after he retired from playing, he was later hired by Sports Illustrated as one of the very first staff writers for that magazine. Wow, no kidding. Yeah, so he's got several articles to his credit there. And then also he became a heavy investor in the stock market where he made a good living but then he lost his wealth in the Wall Street crash of 1929. Some things you might not hear about Wally Pip, other than, you know, the, uh, the, the usual things that you hear about him and, and, and Lou Gehrig replacing him. The, uh, the other yeah. debut I wanted to highlight was in 1905, Moonlight Graham made his <laughs> debut and his final game. Archibald Wright Graham 
June 29th, 1905, he actually got into that one game. The Giants rookie was on the road with the team as they played the Brooklyn Superbas. After the eighth inning, Graham replaced right fielder George Brown. And in the top of the ninth inning, Graham was standing on deck when Claude Elliott flied out for the third out of the inning. Graham then went out to right field to play the bottom of the ninth. Nothing was hit in his direction. And the game ended after that. And that was his only appearance in the major leagues. Graham, who was famously also a doctor, for many years made arrangements to have used eyeglasses sent to his office. And then on Saturdays, he would have children from the mines around his office in Minnesota. Actually, his office was in Minnesota, but children from all the way from Grand Rapids, all the way south to Virginia, I guess that would be southeast to Virginia, would come to his office, have their eyes checked for free, and he would fit them with a proper set of glasses, all free of charge. That's pretty awesome. Beyond, you know, the the saga of playing in one game and not getting in that bat, he was also a doctor that did a lot of good. And of course, he was probably most famous to everybody after being immortalized uh, for his appearance in Field of Dreams, my favorite baseball movie of all time. I say with much sarcasm. <laughs> it's trivia time, Mark. Yes. Last week I asked which team has gone the longest without being no hit. Of course, we had another one this this last week, uh, a Johnny Allstaff against uh, the Cubs against the Dodgers and the the Dodgers got no hit. So do you have an answer? Any any ideas? None whatsoever. All right. Well, we got uh, two people got the right answer this week. Two of our regulars, uh, Chris Cook and Andrew Harmer, both sent in the correct answer, which is the Oakland Athletics. Ah. And it just it should be noted that Chris also noted that there's always a chance that either Ricky Henderson or the A's will always be the answer to any of my trivia questions. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so, yeah, the A's, the last time they were no hit, you have to go all the way back to July 13th, 1991. When wow. the Baltimore Orioles teamed up, it was it was not one player. It was actually four different players. Bob Malacky started, went six. Mike Flanagan, Mark Williamson, and then Greg Olson. Greg with two Gs. Olson came in to nail it down in the ninth. The last time the A's were no hit after that it the the expos slash nationals in 99 so there's kind of a, a large gap there yeah no kidding eight year gap all right so i got a new question for you here mark this one's going to be a tough one so saves a rel- in the in terms of the history of baseball it's a relatively new stat they've been around for a while but baseball's been around for much much longer you can get credited with a save in a couple of different ways you can if you enter the game with the go ahead or tying run on deck is it on deck or is it in the hole i think it's in the hole is it in the hole all right you can get a save or if you finish the game uh, and you pitch the last three innings you can get a save so my question is who has been credited with a save in a game with the largest margin of victory Hmm. So um, it could be somebody comes in in a one run game in the ninth and then, you know, your team scores 8000 runs or you could be in a blowout and you just close it up with the final three innings. 
I'm not going to tell you which it is, but this right. is uh, an interesting question. So uh, if you uh, want to take a guess, if you want to uh, let us know what your guess is, let us know at two strike noise. That is at TWO strike noise on Twitter or Instagram or send us an email. We'll tell you all that here after we get done talking to Rick Riz and they'll also be in the show notes. But with that being said, Mark, let's let the ground crew come out, do their stuff and let us uh, get over to the main part of the show. This was a lot of fun getting to talk to somebody that I know, Mark, you and I have listened to quite a while. We run into him quite a bit while at T-Mobile Park in, uh, in Seattle. And he has a love for baseball. He has been around baseball forever. And he has got a ton of stories about whatever you want to ask him about. So without uh, further ado, let us jump into our conversation with Mariners play-by-play radio announcer, Rick Riz. Rick, we're going to get we're going to get right into the to the serious questions here. You joined the Mariners in 1983. In 1982, though, there was a scandal that rocked the Mariners clubhouse called Jello Gate. Now, your longtime partner and Hall of Famer, Dave Niehaus, even was involved in this. Did, did any of this spill over into, into your time with the Mariners? Have you heard any juicy details about this? It, it kind of did in a way because it was uh, uh, the Mr. Jello episode involving uh, a few of the players, Joe Simpson, and a couple of other guys, and they really played a prank on Rene Latchman, who was manager of the ball club. And on the road, they were able to get a key and actually got into the room. They would take ice and jello and put it in the toilet and mix in all the jello with the ice, it would become jello in the toilet. So if you <laughs> needed to use the bathroom and the facilities, uh, you know. It, made it a rough time then they would short sheet the bed they would take out the speaker from the phone so when uh, there obviously the renee discovered there was a major problem in his room he called down to the uh front desk they could hear him but they couldn't uh they couldn't talk to him or he couldn't talk to them and they go yes so anyway they really messed up his room there was the mr jello episode so then one time, oh, Larry Anderson was involved, Joe Simpson and Larry Anderson. So then a few years later when I got there, Joe and I are doing the games along with uh, Kevin Kremens, our producer engineer. Larry Anderson was still pitching for the Boston Red Sox. We go to Boston and Joe goes up to the front desk and he pretends he's Larry Anderson. Oh, I forgot my key and they gave me the key to the room. <laughs> so we went up there and we messed up Larry Anderson's room, just like Joe Simpson and Larry did the Renee Latchman. We did the Jello, we did the ice, you know, <laughs> took out the receiver and the phone and everything. So yeah, in a way it came full circle and we were involved with that, doing it to Larry Anderson. But that was, yeah, that was the Mr. Jello episode. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit how you got started? Were you a big baseball fan growing up and stuff? Oh, yeah, Mark. I was a huge baseball fan as a kid. I loved it. You know, ever see the movie Sandlot? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that One was of the story of my life. That was the story of my life. We had a Sandlot behind my house, and uh, we had a bunch of kids on my block my age. My brother's age is three years older than me, and every day we'd be on that Sandlot playing baseball, including the dog. You know, in the movie, it was Hercules. <laughs> Remember how big and ferocious in the movie they yeah. made Hercules, and he was a big old cream puff at the end of the movie? Even had a T-shirt yeah. on with his name on it. Well, we had Mo the German Shepherd. His backyard <laughs> was near third base, and every time the ball went in Mo's backyard, my job 
was to jump over the fence, get the ball, throw it back onto the sandlot, and then jump back over the fence and start playing. I did that every time except one time. Mo bit me right on my keister. As I was <laughs> jumping back over the fence to get back to the sandlot. But uh, that was my life growing up. I loved baseball as a kid, and like a lot of other kids, played Little League baseball, high school baseball, and fell in love with it as a as a kid. And I wanted to be the next Louis Aparicio, who's the Hall of Fame shortstop for the Chicago White Sox. And, but that didn't work out. I went to college, played baseball in the JV team at SIU, Southern Illinois University. And, but I got into broadcasting, and that worked out just fine. So I'm one of the happiest guys in the face of the earth. But I love the game of baseball. You were the Benny the Jet of your of your Sandlot crew, yes. it sounds like. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess that was Benny the Jet. My job was to go get that baseball because we only had one ball. You know, we played that thing all day long, all week long, all month long. You know, we had to – and then when the cover came off, we'd take that black electrical tape and wind it over the ball and keep playing with it. That's what we used to fix broken bats, you know, with a nail and a screw and then put that black electrical tape around it to – keep the handle attached to the barrel but uh, that's what you did as kids and uh, it was a lot of fun i had a great time growing up well did you have another ball maybe autographed by somebody you could have used and and if not i know no No, my dad didn't have a signed ball by babe ruth and if he did uh, it would have been a place where i couldn't reach it you know like uh, the one kid did in the movie well, speaking of speaking of an autograph ball, do you have? Uh, I don't know how much of a collector of baseball memorabilia you you are. Do you have any special pieces of, of baseball memorabilia? Yeah, you know, down through the years, I have you know my special things that I collected because uh, you know it meant something to me, and that's what it should mean to everybody who gets a signed ball or whatever. But uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Willie Mays, you know. One spring training when he was in the clubhouse in Scottsdale, I got a ball signed by Willie. I had the pleasure of interviewing Hank Aaron one day during a ball game, which was a fun interview. I asked him, I said, uh, you know, Hank, everybody remembers their first home run. Who'd you hit your first home run off of? And he couldn't remember. And I just said, (laughs) everybody remembers your first home run. And then I said, uh, I was doing the play-by-play for the Tigers. I said, ah, you hit 155 home runs, can't remember ball. I just said, everybody remembers their first one. So we continued with the interview and uh, he he wasn't there because he was trying really hard to remember who he hit his first (laughs) home run off of. We're still still talking about the game and about his career and everything. So there was a little lull in the action. It was real quiet for a few seconds and all of a sudden he went, Vic Rashi! He yelled, "Ah, what? My first home run! (laughs) I couldn't remember. He's a little left-hander. St. Louis Cardinals, a little lefty. But anyway, I got a Hank Aaron baseball and a Louis Aparicio signed ball uh, that I got at uh, at uh, the Hall of Fame. I met him one time when uh, Junior went in in 2016. He was signing autographs, so he was my hero growing up. But that, that's about it. I get a lot of stuff for our Toys for Kids auction and we help raise a lot of money to buy toys for homeless kids at Christmas time. So that's where it all goes. Doing it for 25 years now, Dave Henderson and I started it with uh, 10 of the guys uh, like Edgar Martinez and Jay Buner and Dan Wilson and Omar Rizal and Jeff Nelson and Julio Cruz and Aaron Seeley, Billy Hasselman, Johnny Moses, Manny Sinatra. So it's been, it's been very rewarding. So we're going to keep going. 
That's great, man. Now, you, you brought up Mr. Griffey, so I have to ask. I mean, to, to me, my, my two favorite ball players of all time, uh, Nolan Ryan and Ken Griffey Jr., you know, and uh, you got to – I used to go to as many games as possible. I, I didn't start working for the Mariners until the new ballpark. So I used to uh, go in, find tickets from a scalper, and, and just go in to watch Griffey because he was so incredibly exciting. Do you have any Griffey stories? Oh, my goodness. Um... You know, he was the best ball player I've ever seen. Absolutely. And, and, you know, he had so much fun playing the game, Mark and Jeff. He reminded us that baseball should be fun. You know, he always yeah. had a smile on his face. The things that he did on the field were, you know, mind-boggling. And he did things that guys haven't done in many, many years with his athleticism. But uh, I think yeah. one of the greatest stories I've ever seen and had the chance to broadcast was the fact when father and son played together, you know, in the first yeah. game in late August of 1990. I don't, I don't know if that'll ever happen again. Two great stories where junior got to the big league so quickly and senior still was playing very well at the age of 40 and to see him on the baseball field together. And then the story got better a couple of weeks later in 1990. Uh, they both hit back to back home runs together, you know? Yeah. So it, the story just got, better and better and better but junior was so playful and funny he was i still call him the kid he's 50 something years old and <laughs> he was really the kid when he first got to the big leagues and at spring training in 1989 he's having a great spring he's hitting 400 and and having a great spring and and of course made our ball club i was out to the ballpark early in tempe with my son nick who was uh eight years old at the time and I was just standing in front of the dugout. Nobody was out there yet. And Junior came out and he called Nick over. And so Nick went over to him and they were talking and kind of laughed a little bit. My son's eight years old. Now he's 41. But he, my eight-year-old son walked over to me and he kicked me really hard in the leg. And, he, <laughs> and it hurt. I go, Nick, what are you doing? He said, Junior said he'd give me 50 bucks if I kicked you in the leg really hard. <laughs> I go, you son of a gun, you. And I said, don't you give that money. He said, no. Junior said he'd give me 50 bucks. <laughs> Who tells an eight-year-old kid to go kick his father quite really hard for 50 bucks, you know? Uh, and well, shoot, I, I'd have to jump at the chance uh, at eight years old as well. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah, your son <laughs> would kick you in wouldn't think twice about it, you know, but, but that was junior. He never grew up. Thank God. Uh, he He's always the kid to me, but he did some amazing, a lot yeah. of amazing things on the baseball field with his bat and his glove and his speed scoring on Edgar's double, you know, the biggest run, the biggest hit in our history. So yeah, mm -hmm. a lot of Ken Griffey junior story without junior. I don't know where we'd be. I, I, yeah, that's why they call T-Mobile park the house that, yeah, Rick Griffey built exactly. because uh, th that whole season uh, was 95, I believe. And yeah. that, that just, we took off and all of a sudden, the, you know, we had the ballot initiative and the people voted down the stadium and then boom, what happened? And the Mariners got popular again. And now we have T-Mobile park. Exactly. And, and the, yeah. and the vote failed by only a thousand votes. There were like 500,000 people that voted and they mm. people got out and vote. And the Mariners had that great run in September. And if, if they didn't do that, if they didn't do what they did when they did it and how they did it at that time, we wouldn't be here today. The ball club would be in Tampa Bay. Thank goodness for the local ownership that stepped up, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and really came through. And But the ball club 
coming together, doing what they did, you know, to win the American League West, one game playoff, and they get there and do well in the American League Division Series, generated enough excitement in the Pacific Northwest for the government, the local government, state government to step up and come up with a proposal, a financial package that made it possible to build T-Mobile Park. They had uh, the My Oh My Lottery. They had the restaurant and food tax and restaurant and liquor tax. And uh, they also had the car rental tax. So with those three entities, we were able to come up with enough revenue to uh, to build what I think is the best ballpark in Major League Baseball, T-Mobile Park. Speaking of Mariner legends, I would like to ask you about Lou Pinella. So Pinella... Yeah. Was I, I found this? He was ejected 28 times in 10 years as Mariners manager, and uh, we had wow. uh, we had Shane Monahan on a while ago, and he described one of Lou's greatest greatest hits, I guess, where he was throwing the base and kicking dirt, and everyone in the dugout was trying to keep a straight face until he made it down the down the hallway. What uh, what's your favorite Lou Pinella story? My favorite Lou Pinella is when we were in Cleveland. And Russ Davis was on at first base, and there was a ground ball to the first baseman through the shortstop, and he came off the bag, and he tried to tag uh, Russ Davis, and Russ uh, tried to elude the tag of the of the shortstop, and Russ was called out for running out of the baseline, and so Lou went out there to argue with the second base umpire, saying he wasn't out of the baseline. And uh, he had a big argument with the umpire. So he ends up he's out there by second base. He slams his hat on the ground. And then he started kicking it toward the dugout. <laughs> and he'd kick it. Then he'd kick it again. So, of course, it will only go like three, four feet when he kicked it. Then he kicked it again. Then he kicked it again. All the way from second base to first base. Then he kept kicking it. Then he kept kicking it again. And the guys in the dugout laughing their butts off. And he kept kicking it until he got to the dugout. Then he took his hand and he threw it in the crowd. A fan got it and threw it back at him, and he looked up like, "What?" <laughs> so it was, it was an amazing display of passion which Lou had. You know, he had a plenty of passion to try to win games, and he would love to go out there and argue with umpires. And I miss that now because now we have replay reviews. We don't have those great arguments with managers and umpires anymore. But that was one that really stood out for me. And uh, you know, back in the day. You know, with uh, the Reds and the the Cubs, you know. Well, the Cubs, you kind of milled out a little bit in Tampa Bay. But you'd see him keep dirt on home plate. And then he went out to first base one time, picked it up, and threw it out in right field. I saw Chuck Cotier do that when he managed their ball club. Oh, yeah. Anyway, Lou, Lou was fun to watch. He was a great baseball man, one of the smartest guys I've ever met in the game of baseball and was a great manager and he should be in the hall of fame. He really should be. Uh, one more question and then we'll, uh, we'll get on to some baseball cards here. You are, I, first of all, I, I don't live in Seattle anymore, but I still watch Mariner games and I always, uh, through MLB TV, I switch it over so I can hear you call the game while I watch it. And you are a wealth of baseball knowledge, uh, some applicable to almost every game and some are, are probably a little bit more niche uh, in terms of when you would use it. What is the most obscure baseball fact that you've got just <laughs> ready to go? You're waiting for a situation in a game where you've got this fact that you're just ready to unload. Oh, gosh. It, 
hard to remember one, but I guess where somebody is coming up on a milestone hit, you know, I've got it in my book maybe for weeks if it if they don't get there as a team or a particular player. And so I'm just mm-hmm. saving that nugget until it happens. And then it happened the other day where uh, the Mariners were one home run away from their 7,000th home run in the history of the franchise. So I was sitting on that for a few days. And then uh, said, Long, it's a home run. And I'm, as the ball is flying out to center field over the wall, I said, there it is. You know, franchise home run number 7,000 since April the 6th, 1977. So it was just sitting there in my scorebook waiting for it to happen. And then when it happens, you're finally glad that it happened. And now you don't have to talk about it anymore. You know? But, yeah, you always come across as very well prepared. And that's part of the enjoyment of listening to you on well, the radio. Appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's 90% of it. And then once the game starts, all about the game, you know, describing what's happening during the game and being the eyes and the ears and all the emotions you can generate so the fans can see the game on the radio. And that's what I try to do. Speaking of home runs, I I have a question for you. Have you, in fact, ever had a mustard and salami sandwich on rye bread? (laughs) (laughs) I've had a lot of salami sandwiches in my life. A lot of them. Uh, I'm Italian. I grew up on the South side of Chicago, an Italian neighborhood. So, uh, I love salami, and I love a good old-fashioned salami sandwich. Uh, but I would—I just like it with a light, thin layer of mayo and the salami and the soft bread. And uh, but uh, that's that's about it. I do like <laughs> mustard, though. <laughs> well, just for our for our for for our listeners that might not understand that, that is one of the the all-time great. Grand Slam calls that was uh, first from from yeah. Dave Niehaus and and you have carried on the tradition which I think is great to uh, to tell yeah. Grandma to get out the rye bread and mustard it's Grand Salami time so that's right that was one of the greatest calls ever and I just want to carry on Dave's legacy and that's one way to do it anytime a player hits a home run with the bases loaded Grandma's got to get out the rye bread and make a sandwich. So we got that going because I want people to remember Dave Niehaus. He was one of the greatest announcers in the history of the game of baseball. Fans were so fortunate to have him up here in the Pacific Northwest for 35 years. I had the privilege and the honor of sitting next to David for 25 years, and I learned so much from him. I, I love the man. Absolutely. Yeah, he, just an icon. And, and a great dresser on opening days throughout the year, too. <laughs> Bright, bright colors, that's for sure, man. Yeah, he wore a pink jacket one time, pink sport coat, uh, a green shirt, lime green shirt, white pants, white belt, belt buckle, white shoes. And I, I said, David, you look like a tutti fruity bar. Holy moly. <laughs> I, I, I like these colors. But he loved colors and he was. He was bright and uh, matched his personality. He was amazing. He just, I loved the man. He was incredible. And I learned so much from him about telling stories and, you know, enjoying the game. He always said, Rick, it might be a bad baseball game, but it doesn't have to be a bad broadcast. You can still make it entertaining. Hmm. And that's what he, what he did. And that's what I've tried to do all these years. He was amazing. Well, did you want to do Wax Pack Heroes? Sure. Let's do it. Gotta pull the wax back, hero. Don't stop singing, stop singing. 
right, so I've got a pack here of 1992. Today we've got a leaf set. And what we do with uh, with our guests is we open this up and we just go through and we just, you know, remember a couple of things about some of these players. We've also keep score though. So we used to actually look up the value in a Beckett's, but that didn't equate to a whole heck of a lot of money. So uh, we've got a couple of different rules now. We actually look up the, the baseball reference war from the year of the card, so 1992. But we've got a couple yeah. of extra things. If they're wearing real stirrups, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. But if they're wearing okay. those two and ones, we minus it because we don't like that. Um, if yeah, they're no, wearing glasses, yeah, definitely. If they've got glasses on, flip downs, uh, those big glasses, we had Vance Law on, and you know he used to wear those really big glasses. Uh, you get an extra tenth of yeah. point of war. If you've got a mustache, you get an extra tenth of a point. But if it's like a Raleigh fingers, you get a two tenths of a point because that's really good. Oh, great. And (laughs) if you've got a sweatband that has your caricature on it, like Tony Gwen used to wear those and and you get an extra tenth of a point because that's awesome. And then if you're in the Hall of Fame, you get a whole extra point of war because that's you're in the Hall of Fame. Okay. All right. All right. So let's open up this pack here and let's see what we got. All right. So starting off, uh, I, I think we had this guy last week, too. Uh, here he is with the Tigers. We usually think of him with the A's. It's Tony Phillips. Oh, yeah. I love Tony Phillips. He's, he, we were in the minor leagues together in 1978 in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, nice. Amazing uh, utility guy. Well, he, he wasn't a utility guy. He was an everyday player who played all these positions. Everywhere. <laughs> That's a good way. He, he yes. played everywhere, like Mark McLemore. And Mark, the only reason I'm saying this is because Mark McLemore told me in 2001, he said, don't call me a utility player. I play different <laughs> positions, and I play every day. Utility guy comes off the bench, pinch runs, fills in for defensive purposes and blowouts, might pitch in a ball game. Uh, so I'm an I'm a everyday player who plays different positions. But, yeah, uh, Tony Phillips was that guy, though. He played all over the place. He was outstanding, good little hitter, good leadoff batter, and uh, I, I like Tony Phillips. We're good friends. Looking at his uh, baseball great. reference from that year, positions, uh, second, right, center, third, left, and short. He played yes. everywhere. <laughs> um, he played everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So he had an OPS plus of 119 in 1992, and that equals a 5.1 war. Ooh. He does have a mustache as well, so that's a good start. That's 5.2 right out of the gate. Okay. All right, now this guy. No uh, glasses. Yep, he had, no, he had no no, no glasses on. He used to wear flip-downs in the field a lot, but he's at bat here in this yeah. picture. Um, okay. This next guy you're going to know because he was on the Mariners at one point, and he was nicknamed the Sheriff, also one of the Nasty Boys. Norm Charlton. Norm, Norm Charlton, Charlton, yep. Yeah, yeah, Norm was a star guy, great reliever. Hard nose, old school, great splitter, uh, oh, and just a just a super guy. He's one of my best friends ever in the game of baseball, and he was a nasty boy. One of the great bullpens in the history of the game in 1990, when the Reds went wire to wire and ended up winning the World Series against the Oakland A's. He was so instrumental in the Mariners winning in 1995, when I think it was Philadelphia who released him in June, and he showed up. And, uh, man, he was incredible as our closer, and that's one of the reasons why we we made it to the playoffs and did as well as we did that year was because of the Sheriff, Norm Charlton. Yeah, so 1992, he was an all-star this year. Went 4-2, and two, 
had 26 saves and uh, an ERA plus of 123, which equates to a war of uh, somehow, <laughs> I don't know how baseball reference does it, a war of minus 0.2, That's which crazy. doesn't yeah. make any That's sense. But, that makes zero sense. Uh, also, unfortunately, Norm is wearing the two-in-one stirrups here, so we're going to have to... Uh-oh. Oh, is he? Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we're going to have to knock him down 0.3 for that. But uh, okay. still, it's fun to, fun to talk about Norm. Next, we've got second baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates. We talk about him because he's got a very small glove. It's Jose Lind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good little ball player. Pittsburgh Pirates and... Uh... The Royals, I believe. And Kansas City Royals, too, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so Chico, let's see, in 1992, he didn't have a a great bat, but he was always pretty good out there at at second base. Uh, Only a 55 OPS plus, but his defense is probably going to help. Well, I say that, and it's a minus 1.7. But you're going to get some extra points here because he's got a mustache and he's got flip-down sunglasses. Oh, good. So, <laughs> Rick, you're going the wrong direction yeah. though with these minuses. Oh, yes, I know. Not doing so well there. Okay, well, this what one, this one will be fun because this is uh, this guy joins you sometimes. You've got a couple of catchers that'll join you on broadcast. This is one of my favorites. It's Dave Valley. Valley, yeah, yeah. Dave was awesome, man. I I love Dave, and he did a really good job for a ball club handling that pitching staff. The way he did, he played about uh, 12, 14 years in the big leagues, and man, we had a great arm. Very few guys blocked pitches as well as he did, and Dan Wilson, and and he was around for a long, long time. But uh, yeah, he was a great dude, still is, and working for the Major League Baseball Network as we speak. Yeah, and one of the nicest guys you could ever meet, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Love Dave Valley. So 1992, he spent 10 years with the Mariners of his, of his 13. Uh-huh. So yeah, a good, good deal of it there. He had good catcher numbers, nine home runs, uh, 240 average and 87 OPS plus. And that equates to a 1.4 war. So that's good. You're going the right way. And what's really good, good news here is Dave Valley. And I don't remember this, but in this card, he has got two sweatbands with his caricature on it. So yes, all right. Some points there. Huh? <laughs> That's a, a 1.6 for Val. Um, we go from Dave Valley to another catcher and former manager, Mike Sosha. Yeah, Mike was a really good defensive catcher. He could also hit a little bit and had a great career with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Also a great manager for many, many years. The Angels got him to the World Series and won a World Series in 2002. He was a stirrup guy. No yeah, much. All dash. catchers were, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, he was a great catcher when they could block home plate. He was one of those guys. Oh boy, he was a oh, he yeah. was a, a brick wall at at home plate. Yeah. he was a big. You know who blew him up though? One time was Norm Charlton. <laughs> really? When he was catching for the Dodgers, check out a YouTube version of Norm Charlton bowling over Mike Sosha. It is something. He like. Uh, Charlton hit him like a freight train and just knocked him all <laughs> over the place. But yeah, Mike's a good guy too. If you're going to think of somebody railroading Mike Sosha, why wouldn't it be a reliever? 
you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, the first guy you think of is a reliever. So 1992 was uh, Socha's final year in the big leagues. Uh, all of it was with the Dodgers. Uh, still played quite a bit. Uh, let's see, 1992, a minus 0.5 ERA, uh, ERA, a 0.5 war, though, uh, unfortunately oh. for Soch. This is one a pack that I would get here normally. Um, next, we've got a lefty also for the Dodgers, Steve Wilson. Hmm. Hmm. Don't remember Steve Wilson. I, I don't either. Yeah. I only, that car, Jeff? I only remember Hopefully him from, from Stratomatic. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, 92 with the Dodgers, he went two and five, a four one nine ERA, and that equates to a WAR of minus point one, unfortunately. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, did you did you pack this I, pack yourself? Or what, what's going on? <laughs> we're waiting for a Hall of Famer. All right, this is a good card yeah. with the Braves uh, first baseman. He was not fast by any means, but he uh, had one of the biggest slides. In uh, in postseason history, it's Sid Bream. Sid Bream, Sid Bream yeah, yeah. Pirates, he's a good ball yeah. It was the Pirates and the Braves were uh, where I remember yeah. him from for sure. For sure. In uh, ninety, yeah, that was a big run. Ninety two with Atlanta, uh, he hit ten home runs, two sixty one uh, average, and that equates to a WAR of one point zero. Um, he's got some. Sid always had a mustache, right? Oh yeah, he's got a mustache. Yes. He's yeah, got he flip down sunglasses and he's got real stirrups. So, that, whoa, nice. Couple more points there. Yeah, that's a big one point. The trifecta. Yeah. You got your first Hall of Famer next. It is Lee Smith, who we just talked about because we just talked about the Ryan Sandberg game where he got the win. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah, uh, Lee Smith, I'll never forget. Uh, he, he took his time walking in for the bullpen. He has took forever <laughs> just walking <laughs> in longer. Oh, but once he got to the mound, man, he could pitch and strike you out and a lot of strikeouts and made it to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so this will be a good card for you. Uh, led the league with 43 saves that year, a 3.12 ERA, and that equates to a war, 0. 0.6. Uh, he is a Hall of Famer what? and he's got a mustache, though, so that'll get you up to 0. 0.7. Oh, good. 1.7. Well, he's a Hall of Famer, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah 1.7. Yeah, 1.7. So that brings you up to, to 7.4. Now, this guy uh, next is a pitcher. I'm an A's fan. This is a, kind of an infamous name. He came out of high school as a phenom, said, I'm only going to sign with oh, the A's. Tim Conroy <laughs> or Mike Morgan? Uh, Todd Van Poppel, a little bit later. Oh, Todd Van Poppel. Oh, okay. Came out of high school. Hey, that would be nice. Todd's a friend of mine. Yeah. No, he was, he was good when he first came up. I recall through hard and uh, yeah, he's he's a good pitcher in the he, early days. Yeah, he ended up having a pretty decent career. Eleven years in the big leagues, he ended up coming out of the bullpen yeah. a lot of the time. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I believe that in '95, uh, he was the guy that surrendered the home run to Vince Coleman in that uh, that big game. I, I think, think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Well, in 1992, he did not appear in the big leagues. He, it was his second year in baseball, Uh-oh. and I think he hurt. He was injured and did not play, but he does have yeah. real stirrups, so you're going to get at least a tenth of a point out of that. Okay. Next, you've got another Mariner. This is good, and he's got glasses on. It's Pete O'Brien. Oh, yeah. He was a really good defensive first baseman, and he could hit. We called him the Belfast Blaster. He was, <laughs> uh, he was a good player and a great guy. Stirrups guy, 
right? I'm going to assume so. I can't see it in the picture. It's, it's cut off his knees, but yeah. he's got glasses. And in 1992, uh, okay, numbers. He had 14 home runs and at a war of minus 0.3. So that'll actually just be a minus 0.2. Next, you've got uh, this guy is a... As an A's fan, we called him a professional hitter. Here he is with the Expos, Matt Stairs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good left-handed hitter hit with power. Yeah, good, really good pinch hitter. One of the best in history, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I think he does. I uh, like to say that uh, Matt Stairs' career was up and down. Ah, <laughs> Don't encourage go. him, Rick. Don't encourage him. <laughs> yeah. No, that was very good. That was really good, Mike. That was good. So Thank you. 92 was Stairs rookie year. He only appeared in 13 games. So I'm probably probably not going to get a whole lot of help here. He's just at an even uh, zero, and there's nothing that's going to help you there. So we'll move okay. on to another guy that uh, I actually just made contact with on social media. He's now a sports agent. It's Reggie Jefferson here with Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Remember Reggie? Yeah. He had a What's b- his war? Let's see, in uh, 92, well, he only appeared in 24 games. This pack is not doing you any favors, but he still had a point six, uh, .6 war and a mustache, so that'll get you a, a point seven there. Next, we've got good. a great announcer for the, uh, for the Mets. It's, or, no, he's with the Yankees. I'm sorry. Here he's with the Mets, David Cohn. David Cohn, oh, good pitcher. Perfect game. You know, through a perfect game, just a really good guy, man. He was he was great with the Yankees, the Mets. You know, Kansas City came up with Kansas City. Really good pitcher, tough too. He's a real bulldog. Cy Young Award winner, five World Series rings. That's uh, yeah, pretty amazing. good. Seventeen and ten with a ERA plus of one twenty nine, and that equates to a WAR of wow of. Uh, let's see. I got to do. I went to Washington State, so math is not my strong suit. Five point one. So Ooh. that'll get you. Uh, that'll get you five point one. That's up to thirteen point two. You've got two cards left. Your second to last is a Hall of Famer with the Twins, Kirby Puckett. Love Kirby uh-huh. Puckett. Great hitter. Great center fielder. Stirrups. Uh, no mustache. <laughs> Actually, he's uh, got a mustache a here. He, he had a goatee. Oh, no way. Yeah, he had a goatee here. Oh, so man. that's really good. No came mustache. in came in second in the all in the uh, MVP balloting this year. Led the league in hits and total bases and a 139 great OPS guy. plus. That equates yeah. to a 7.1. You've got a mustache Ooh. and a Hall of Famer, so that's 8.2. Oh, good. So that'll wow. Be, All right. It made a little rebound there with there, Kirby. Anything <laughs> over 20 is good, and you're at 21.3. And your final card is uh, New York Yankee second baseman Pat Kelly. Yeah. What what did Pat give me there as far as the war? And... Let's see here. There's a ton of Pat Kellys that played. This Pat Kelly in <laughs> 1992 was the second year. Um, an OPS plus of 90, which equates to a war of 0.6. And he's got flip downs and real sunglasses or, and uh, real stirrups. So that's a plus 0.8. Right. And that'll bring your total up to a 22.1, which is very respectable. Oh, Not bad, Rick. Good. All right. <laughs> I made a cutback. Thank God for Kirby Puckett. Yeah, Kirby Puckett <laughs> made, made it for you. 
Uh, yeah. Well, Rick, thank you so much for joining us. We know you got to run. Uh, we really appreciate your time and your stories. Those were really great to hear. And uh, we, we really do appreciate you. Oh, you're very welcome. I enjoyed it, uh, Mark and Jeff. That was a lot of fun talking to baseball, Mariners baseball, and some other guys with a baseball card. So thank you very much for allowing me to be a part of your program. Appreciate it. So thank you again very much to Rick Riz. That was a lot of fun. He's got a great sense of humor. I, I was really enjoyed the Jello Gate story because I had not heard that follow-up from the next year that, uh, that yeah, he told that us awesome. about. So, <laughs> uh, I did want to mention something, though, because it came up there during Wax Packs Heroes, and we recorded that interview with Rick on Thursday, the 24th. And he mentioned the uh, the Norm Charlton Mike Sosha collision at home plate, and I did not know it at that time, but uh, I know it now that uh, that day, Thursday the twenty fourth, was actually the thirty first anniversary of that play happening. You didn't know that? I did. I well, totally knew because you know, thir- <laughs> well, you know why? Because Thursday was also the anniversary of, of Ricky Henderson's debut in the majors. So that kind of that okay. always that always takes my attention away for the day. So sure. I wanted to talk a little bit quickly about that. We usually wrap up pretty quick after Wax Packs Heroes, but I wanted to just run through that because it, it was a really weird situation uh, that happened, and and since it came up and it was the anniversary. Uh, I, I just wanted to talk about it. A little bit of background. Charlton was actually hit by a pitch to get on base, and he was none too happy about it when it happened. That one hits Charlton. The breaking ball, and he's looking rather nastily out of the pitcher, Hartley. I don't know how Hartley was trying to hit him with a slider. Well, it was definitely a breaking ball. The ball bounces in front of the plate. No, it hits him right on the right calf. It's a breaking ball, though, and he locks there, and he can't get out of the way. But Charlton was not happy with it. So some stellar commentary by Joe Morgan there. It didn't hit him, mm-hmm. but it hit him. It, yeah, Joe Morgan. <laughs> Great player, awful, awful announcer. All right, so, and, and I like how John Miller said he stared nastily because he was one yes. of the nasty boys. <laughs> yeah, he got that in there. Yeah, so he was looking for someone to take this out on. As he was making his way around the bases during the rest of the inning. And uh, he had the opportunity when Joe Oliver doubled with Charlton standing on second base. Two on, two out, and a base hit down the line. Benzinger will score. Charlton is going to try and score. Griffin's relay. A collision. Sosha drops the ball. This was not a real wise play by Charlton. The third base coach is holding him up, but he's going all the way. Sosha tries to block the plate, but Charlton is coming after him. He did not go after the plate. You can see he's going after Sosha. He did not go after the plate. Joe Morgan actually right there, and, and I'll, I'll throw the link to this video in the show notes so you can watch it. He has no intention of touching the home plate. He is veering <laughs> solely towards Mike Sosha to get a pound of flesh back in retribution for being barely nicked on his shin or on his calf, actually. <laughs> it wasn't even his shin, but it's Mike Sosha. He's a tough guy. He's a catcher. He just gets up, picks up the ball, and uh, throws it back to the pitcher. 
but uh, it's incredible because you cannot read Sosha's name or number on the back of his jersey. He got wow. He just got railroaded, and his, the back of his jersey is just completely dirty. But Charlton, just by happenstance, his foot hit the plate as he was trying to tackle Mike Sosha. So he was safe, <laughs> and Sosha dropped the ball anyway. But uh, something that would definitely not happen today. And if it did, beyond suspensions, there would have been a brawl immediately. That was, uh, that oh, was, absolutely. That was the game back in, in 1990, which, you That's know, right. for better or worse, there, there it was. But, uh, yeah, go ahead and take a look at that play if you want to uh, just watch the video because it's, it's pretty fun. All right, Mark, that's going to wrap it up. It's been another great episode. Uh, we've got some other places that people can get a hold of us and follow us throughout the week. On social media, you can find us at 2 Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. On both Twitter and Instagram, we are on YouTube. And I'm going to be dropping a new uh, Guess That Game later this week. So be sure to look out for that. We're also on Twitch sometimes. And uh, Mark, we also get emails. And you want to tell them where they can do that? Sure, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send it to Two Strike Noise, spell it out, T-W-O Strike Noise at gmail.com. That's, uh, that is correct. We will read your emails, uh, unless they're derogatory, and then we might just, no, we'll still read them. We'll just send we'll us stuff. We'll read them, but yeah, send us stuff. I, I, went, I got into a crying fit last time somebody insulted me. You know, but well, tell your wife that's just the way my wife is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, if you want to send us multi-level marketing stuff, even, you know, junk mail, it does not matter. We, we enjoy it. But uh, we'd like to thank once again, Rick Riz, the radio voice for the Seattle Mariners. That was uh, very nice of him to uh, take some time out on his off day, a rare off day for the Mariners. But he uh, agreed to come on and, and speak with us. We really do appreciate that. We'll be back again next week. Uh, we've got a lot of things lined up for next week. It should be a fun show as well. And uh, Mark, I will see you here when we convene for the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 